Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy to be studying a passage today that uh, calls us to, to praise you and to sing and um, to see what is your will for the, the Christian church. Lord, we thank you for Ephesians 5 and uh, we ask for your help to study it and uh, to encourage one another with this passage. And uh, even in the days ahead with the other sections with the family, I pray for your help and uh, your guidance. And I pray that uh, what we discuss today, what we see you um, uh, telling us to, to be like and to do, that we would be doing it, Lord. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 today. We are basically finishing Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, we're going to read Ephesians 5. <coughs> Welcome, everyone. So Ephesians 5, we are going to start actually in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I've entitled this teaching, The Will of God for the Christian Assembly. So here we see that uh, Paul is telling us that we should discern, we should understand what the will of God is. And then he gives us different aspects of what his will is. And um, we will see that these really are pertaining to what uh, Christians were doing when they gathered together. So in, in the context that we've seen last week, we saw, he said, some things are not proper to mention among you. So he's definitely talking about the, the gathered church when they are together and there are things that are, that are not um, proper to be mentioned. They're, they're not worthy of our discussions. He also mentioned in chapter 4 that uh, God gave to the church pastors and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that of course implies that this is when the church is gathered and then the saints are edified with the, with the leaders and the evangelists. Now, of course, what we also saw is that whatever is, is, um, is commended and proper for when we gather, that also applies when we are not together. So when it says, let the one who steals steal no longer, but works that he may give to the one who has in need, that certainly applied to the gathered church, but that definitely applies when we are no longer together. So what we're going to see today is clearly talking about the gathered church. It talks about singing, encouraging one another. This is naturally what we do when we gather. But that, that also applies to other parts of the week. In fact, in the first century, the church was gathering every Sunday. But they also gathered sometimes uh, weekly. And they had uh, meetings during the week. And they were evangelizing. They were doing all kinds of things. So therefore, the Christian life is not just a, um, a once-a-week uh, event for one or two hours. When you come, you just listen, you sit, and then you go home, and then you live like any, any, everyone else. You know, that's not like that. So, but today we're looking at the will of God for the Christian church. And we will see that the will of God for the Christian church is um, addressed in regards to the Lord's Supper, to the singing. So the Lord's Supper would be the section with the drinking of wine, I will come back to that. Addressing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that will be the singing part. So we will learn what God wants uh, of us when we come to the church and we sing. It will tell us about the content and uh, to whom we sing and how we sing. And we will see in verse uh, 20, the giving of thanks. So we will see that God expects that we pray when we are together <coughs> and uh, that we give thanks. And finally, there is the submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is really one of the key ingredients for fellowship. Because if we are not humble, receiving one another, yielding our preferences, 
well then you know we are not going to be in communion with each other we're just going to be bickering over every single little thing so it says to submit to one another in the fear of Christ so really what we're seeing here and the parallel passage is in Colossians chapter 3 which we are going to read shortly with what we are reading is kind of an expanded summary on of uh, Acts 2.42, where we see that, quote, the first Christians were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' te teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So we're going to see extended teachings on that. Now let's read the parallel passage, which is in Colossians chapter 3. And we will start in verse 12. And we will go all the way to verse 17. The main, the main parallel passage is in verse 16, but actually the context really lines up with Ephesians. It's just the broader section that started all the way in chapter 4. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. All right, so it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You remember last week we saw that God had said, God forgave you in Christ of all your sins, therefore be imitators of God and forgive. That's what we saw in Ephesians. And here it's really the parallel section. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Similarly, in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw that he says we ought to, do, to use our spiritual gifts in love. This is how the whole body is growing together in love. Then, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Same thing in Ephesians 4, we saw uh, there is uh, one Lord, one baptism in chapter 3 as well. It talks about several times that we are one church. Although we are one body, there are many members, we saw that. And then it also says in the prayer in chapter 3, I believe it says um, that you will be strengthened in your inner being by the Holy Spirit, that Christ will rule in your heart, and that um, you will be filled with all the fullness of God the Trinity, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And over here we have again the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual song. The same phrase that we found in Ephesians. With thankfulness, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So one thing that we do see here that is uh, not mentioned in, in Ephesians is the teaching. So in verse 16 it says, teaching and admonishing one another. And then it talks about the singing. So I will be using that as well to talk about the will of God in the gathered church. So it talks about the will of God in Ephesians um, 5.17. And the will of God, it's not, it is not mysterious. It is not something that um, we can find with uh, esoteric means or by taking our finger and putting it in the Bible or seeing things in our, in our life as if they were signs of God uh, at every corner. Um, those, uh, those are are ways that people are seeking the will of God that, is, that are unhealthy. The way we know the will of God is we see what he says in, in his word. right? So in 1 Thessalonians it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then it talks about not abusing one another. It talks about not having sexual immoral behaviors. It talks about different things like that. Or it says in, um, in the Thessalonians, This is the will of God, that you give thanks in everything. Or in Romans 13, it says, this is the will of God that you submit to authorities in the government. Right. And so we have all those facets. And, and this is really what we're seeing here, aren't we? The last section is submitting to one another, the will of God. Singing, the will of God. Praying without 
ceasing and giving thanks to the will of God. And um, being filled with the Spirit is the will of God. So what the Bible commands, this is the will of God. And uh, there is a verse in the Psalms that says, it says, if you delight in the Lord with all your heart, He will give you the desires of your heart. So if you, de if you delight in the Lord, if you are filled with the Spirit, as we will see, that basically means to obey God. If we obey God, we please the Holy Spirit, and we are in sweet communion with Him. He is always in us. We are always having the fullness of the Spirit, uh, because we all, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, have been baptized into the Spirit. We all have drank of the Spirit. There is no spiritless Christian. Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So there are people who say that you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. That is not correct. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, you're not born again and you're not a Christian. And if someone has the Spirit, there is the fullness of God inside of you. God is inside of you. It's not like, well, some people have 1%, other people have 100%. And, you know, you really have to, to work at it. If God is in you, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the triune God inside of you. But God is inside of us. That's, that's true. But we have to obey. Because if we do not obey, we do not have communion. Just like you can be married and um, you are fully married. It's not 1% married, 100% married. You're either married or you're not. But then, depending on your relationship with your wife, you can have this communion, this, this fellowship with each other, or not. And so with God, it's, it's the same way. And when we obey God, we are filled with the Spirit. And that's going to be the main theme here. How do we know that we are filled with the Spirit? Well, we obey Him, but those are the results. We sing. We give thanks. We are building our, our preferences, or we also have humility with each other. And we admonish one another. And you see that we do not practice evil things that are just uh, signs of an of a uncontrolled life, like drunkenness. Those are the things. And we just saw in Colossians the exact same verse, except a few changes are there. I mentioned one. It says teaching. But there is another one. Colossians 3.16 starts with the section we should all remember. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in Colossians it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then you'll sing. And in Ephesians it says, be filled with the Spirit, and then you'll sing. Because these are the same things. There's no one who is going to be filled with the Spirit, and he's not filled with the word of God. Do you see that? You cannot live a life that's obedient to God. You cannot be filled with the Spirit. You cannot be obedient. You cannot be in communion with God if you're not filled the word, the word of God. Because who inspired the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. So if you read the words of the Spirit, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. And you're going to know the will of the Spirit. And you're going to do the will of the Spirit. Because the Bible says in Psalm 119, it says, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there is a supernatural power in the Word of God that basically causes me not to sin or to sin less when I have the Word of God dwelling richly in me. Does that make sense? So what does that mean practically on a daily basis? What do you think? Don't be shy. Loving one another. Yes. Praying Right. But how will I have the word of God dwell in me richly? Practically. Yeah. I'm going to read it. Every day I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to perhaps memorize some of it. Because this is like, wow, this verse, I would, yeah, it would, be, it would be great if I could memorize it. Now that I really got impacted by that verse, it's actually easier to remember that verse. Right? And you might not remember the reference. If you do, that's fine. If you don't, the, what counts is actually the soul. And uh, that's the verse, right? the truth. So you are not going to have the, dwell, the, well, the Word of God dwell in you richly 
if you don't actually open up the Bible and put your nose in the book. And in some churches, there is only a 10-minute sermon that's actually quite shallow. And this is all Christians get. And some, some of us I know, we don't listen to any sermons, we don't read Bible books, we don't read our Bible at home. And so then some of us have like 40 minutes, some 10 minutes of Bible teaching for the whole week. And then we're surprised that 20 years down the road, Christians don't know much. What did you expect? You go to school and you're going to spend 10 minutes talking about something, you know, and then next week you talk about something that's a little bit different and how is that going to stick? You know, if you, if you want to become a teacher and the Bible says in, in Hebrews, it says by now you should all be teachers. You should all be knowing things you can pass it on to someone else. But if you are going to be a teacher, say, of English, you are going to go to school and you're going to put a lot of hours every day for several years and then, then maybe you can teach, right? So how are you going to have the Word of God dwell in you richly if you don't even read at home? It's not going to happen. If you don't just talk about what you are thinking or wondering with other Christians, you don't other, uh, listen to other sermons, right? It's not going to happen. You have to have a dedicated daily plan to meditate the Word of God. And if you do, then those things are going to be part of your life. If you do, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So message number one for today, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the Word of God. And to be filled with the Word of God, you have to have a plan on a daily basis to meditate on the Word of God. Furthermore, join a weekly Bible study. Tune in on YouTube to listen to John MacArthur, John Piper, some good teachers, Asi Sproul. Read some good books, ask some people in the church, you know, I'd like to start reading, you know, it's just the beginning. Do you have a couple books to recommend? Maybe I can borrow a couple books from you. Do it, right? You're gonna learn and be just encouraged. And then you're gonna have those things in your life. So now, I did mention that the wine debauchery part belonged to the Lord's Supper. And I have to explain because this is something that's really not so known today. So I'll give a little bit of cultural background and then I'll share a few verses and I think it will open up your eyes to the context of some of the verses in the Bible that we often don't, don't really see. So in the first century, when people gathered, they had what was called a symposium. That was not just for the Christians, it was actually for the culture, all the culture, the Greeks, the Jews, the Romans. So what was a symposium? And it was called with different names, but essentially it was like this. They would have a weekly event for some others that were not Christians, it may have been at different frequencies. But the point was, they started with a meal. They had a meal together. And then they had good food, and during the meal, and towards the end of the meal, they would have some poems or some songs recited, and they would have some, for the, the Romans, maybe some philosophers discuss. And uh, at the end of the meal, this is when there would be the, um, the speakers. They, everybody would stop, and this would be the time where there is the, the discussion and the, the different uh, uh, speaking activities. It turns out it was the same for the Jews. And it turns out it was the same for the Christians. So Christians gathered on Sunday, and the Sunday was actually a working day. It was not like for us today. It was a working day. It was the first day of the week, as it's called in the Gospels. So what happened is that people were working. Well, perhaps not the rich folks, but definitely a lot of people. Most people would be working, and the slaves, they would have no way to just say, you know, I'm gone for the Sunday 10 a.m. morning service, you know. No, no, you work. But at the end of the day, there would be time. So the first century services, they were in the evening. So what they would do is, it would be the end of the day, they would gather together and they would have a meal. So they would start with the meal and, uh, and then they would have the songs and then they would have the teaching. So we see that in many passages, I'll show you one. Please turn to Acts 20. And somebody is going to be reading for us.
Verse 7. Um, who wants to read for us verse 7 until 12 with a loud voice, please? Thanks, then. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Edicus, uh, mm -hmm. sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the first, third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arm, said, Do not be alarmed, for he is uh, life, there is still life in him. And when Paul had gone up, had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not, and were not a little important. Thank you. So the picture is the first day of the week, Sunday. Christians are gathered. That's the expression that's used throughout the New Testament for the gathering of the saints, which today we'd call the church service. Remember, in the Bible, it's never called a service because it's not something that gets done to you as if you go to the gas station and you get a service, they just fill the tank for you. It's not like that in the Bible. The Bible, it calls it the gathering of the saints for edification, mutually, mutual edification, i.e. you don't come just to be served, you come to be a part of the body to function. So people actually grow in their faith because of the use of your gifts. But be that as it may, they gathered together on the first day of the week. And why did they gather? The clause is given to break bread. And the to break bread is showing us that the prime reason why the first century church gathered was to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a fellowship meal. So that's what they did. And you can see, they, this is the first thing they do, so it's time to eat, it's late, and then they, they eat, and they have this good time of fellowship together, as we saw in Acts 2.42, fellowship in the, way, in the breaking of bread, and then the teaching. And you can see the teaching of Paul, um, probably because he was uh, uh, what we would call today a missionary, right? He would travel, so then he moves on, so it lingers more than it would naturally uh, linger. But at any rate, we see the symposium. We see first day of the week, end of the day they gather to have a meal they celebrate the supper and then there is a prolonged time of teaching and fellowship and then we see the story of uh, Eutychus who falls falls off the window so people like to say that if uh, Paul could make someone fall asleep in his messages then don't, don't be so sad if people sleep in the church but anyways uh, please don't <laughs> so you see you see this pattern first the fellowship meal supper food and then the teaching now let's turn to let's turn to a passage where the Lord Jesus establishes the supper and that is going to be in in one of the Gospels please turn to Matthew 26 Matthew 26 we're going to read verse 26 until 30. And the main message here is they celebrated the supper and then they sang. Now, Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will, I will tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, that's wine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And, they, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So the picture here is they have the Lord's Supper. They have a meal. They celebrate the Lord's Supper. They break bread, which represents Christ breaking his body on the cross for them. They drink the cup with wine, representing the blood of Christ that's poured out under the wrath of God to save us from our sins. And then they sing. 
And now we go to another passage. What's it's going to be. What's the Mount of Olives? Oh, that's a location in uh, yeah. in, uh, in Israel. Basically, you know, it's um, it's a mount, it's a hill, and there are plenty of uh, olive trees. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, good question. <laughs> so then we turn to First Corinthians chapter eleven. <coughs> if you want to have more details about the food piece, you have details about that in First Corinthians chapter ten, where it talks about meat. It talks about the cup of uh, blessing that we bless. And talks about the details of the Lord's Supper that were helping Christians. Because as they ate, some people came with food sacrificed to idols, such as meat. And then they were causing some confusion and some brothers to stumble. So that's why he addresses the meat as part of the Lord's Supper in chapter 10. And in chapter 11, it says this in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 11:20. When you come together... That's the expression that has been repeatedly used in 1 Corinthians and other passages, such as in chapter 5 when it says, when you come together, put away the evil person from among you. That's the practice of church discipline when the church was gathering. And then here it says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He's actually rebuking them because as they come on the Sunday evening to eat together before they can proceed with the, um, the singing and teaching parts, they were actually doing a lot of things wrong. And so he's saying, you think you come and you celebrate the Lord's Supper? That's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You are doing something that's wrong. Even he says in the passage, you are gathering not to become better, but to become worse. So it's possible to come to church and be worse off than when you came. If you don't act properly, you don't have the right heart, you do all kinds of evil things, you know, it's possible to be like worse off because you've just not behave properly and didn't have the right heart attitude so anyways it says when you come together it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal one goes hungry one gets drunk and then he talks about you are just uh, um, you are just shaming the poor because they come and they have no food now remember it was the evening so not everyone would come at the same time some people would be delayed at work they would come and the slaves they are poor they come no more food and he's like, are you kidding me? You're not, you're not waiting for one another. It's a meal that shows that we, all, we are all one. We break the one loaf because we are one church, one, one body. That's what it says in the text. So if you eat everything, they show up, there's no more food. It's almost like saying, you're not part of the church. And then look at the physical needs. They have nothing. And they are poor. So he's saying, if you want to eat, you can eat at home. So when people come, just... You are all together, waiting to eat together and share together. And then you see here, somewhere drunk. So the whole idea of, well, we don't know if it was real wine with alcohol. Well, they get drunk. What do you mean? Right? So there was the wine and there was the food. And there were all kinds of ways that people would abuse it. They would be gluttonous. They would not share. They would be drunk. So, so far, what have we learned? We've learned that in the first century, it was Sunday. And then they had the meal and then uh, as the Lord's Supper and then they would have the singing and the teaching. And now we go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. And isn't that surprising that he says in verse 18, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you were, by the way, to do some studies on the first century church culture and the history of the first church, you would see exactly what I'm telling you. This is what people did. And now you come here and he says, don't be drunk, but sing. That's what he says, right? He doesn't just say, don't be drunk, be filled with the Spirit, and then he moves on to other things. He says, don't be drunk, be filled with the Spirit, and sing to encourage the others. Why does he say that? Well, because that's what they did. They gathered for the meal, they had the wine, and then they were supposed to be sober and now refreshed with food so then they could be singing and encourage one another and they could be admonishing one another and they could be praying and they could be giving thanks and they could be submitting to one another. But if they were to be drunk at the beginning of the, the gathering of the saints, then the whole, the whole section that follows would be wasted. So here he says, when you celebrate the supper, you have to be sober thinking that I'm here to honor the Lord, and I have to be encouraging my brothers. I have to be filled with the Spirit. 
So in the US, people, not everyone, but a lot of people, especially the older generations, the fundamentalist uh, generation, most of what they teach, I actually believe, right? They teach the Bible is the word of God, inerrant, has no error. We, we, uh, we see God as the creator. There's no evolution. All those things is true. But there are some things that are from the old generations that are uh, just cultural things that come from the history of the United States, such as the prohibition. So they say alcohol is wrong. Some Christians say alcohol is wrong. You cannot drink ever alcohol. It's against the will of God. And this is where all these arguments about, no, it's not alcoholic wine. We should just have grape juice. This is all where it comes from. It's just a recent American invention that people just have this cultural, traditional reaction against alcohol, and then they impose it on the text. So this is where we need to have the proper biblical balance. And if you look at the whole Bible, you'll see, in short, that wine is a blessing. It's a gift of God. It's actually something that Christ drank. He made a miracle. He changed the water into wine. Not the water into water. Not the water into grape juice. The water into wine. And this is what Christ said just in the passage we read. I will not drink of the wine until I am in the kingdom. So it's a good thing. And we will see some verses. But just like any good thing, like food, like sexuality, it can be misused and it can be abused. And the answer to the misuse of food or sexuality is not to say, no more food, total abstinence, we don't marry, we don't do anything like that. That's not the answer, is it? The answer is, this is a good gift from God. I will be using it responsibly. Everything in moderation. Yeah. And for example, for me, right now I have celiac. I cannot eat normal bread. Well, for you it's good normal bread. So for, if you have some people, you know, any tent of alcohol is going to cause them trouble, then you skip it. Because not everyone is the same. But the point is, it's actually good. It's actually good. Um, but we have to know each other, and I'll give some comments on that too. But uh, more, more details about the Lord's Supper, the fellowship meal, also known as the love feasts. In Jude 1.12, it says, These men, these would be false Christians, are hidden reefs in your love feasts. This would be the fellowship meal. Shamelessly feasting with you. 2 Peter 2.13, it says, They cause, they consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. That is, rioting, causing all kinds of uh, trouble. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you. So there will be people who would join the meeting in the first century, and they would get drunk. There will be false Christians. There will be people making a mess in the meal. Now, you can imagine, if somebody gets drunk, all the other things are going to happen, right? So Paul is saying, and uh, Peter is saying in Jude, that these people who do those things, some of them are not even Christians, they have to be removed. And then, of course, in Ephesians and in the Corinthians, he's not writing this, don't be drunk, or some of you get drunk. He's not saying that because it doesn't happen. He was saying that because some Christians had issues with that. And they were to be told, this is not how you live. But again, it's a blessing. So in Psalm 104, it says this. You cause, that's a God causing, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And that's still God. You bring forth wine to gladden the heart of men, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen men's hearts. This is a positive context where bread gives strength. As we eat, we are refreshed, we can work. The oil, it makes our face shine. And the wine makes our heart glad. So it's possible to drink a moderate amount of wine, a small amount of wine, and still it brings gladness. And you see here, the effect is actually mentioned. It's not like you drink and then you have to feel nothing at all whatsoever, and then you're still good. No, no, the text says you can have an effect that is definitely not drunkenness, but a moderate effect that brings gladness. This is what the text says, you see. So some people have pro prohibited pastors to have wine. They just say, you cannot have wine if you are an elder or a pastor, and that's the policy of the church. Well, that's called legalism. And they say, well, but see, it says not given too much wine in Titus and First Timothy. See, but it says not given too much wine. It doesn't say not given to wine. And in the Greek, the much 
word is uh, polis. And we get the same word, which means many in the Greek for other words we use, like polygon, right? Multiple, multiple um, edges. And uh, so it, the idea is that you can have it, but not in a, in a high quantity that would be making you drunk. And if someone was to be an elder and uh, a deacon and to be a model for the church, they were not to have any issue with drunkenness. That's the point. And so that's how, that's how we should see that. And you know, in many other cultures, um, th this is not like a concern. People, people understand from France or the Middle East where we've been, you know, you know, people understand. It's not that God made this and it's like, no, you cannot touch it. It's, he made it, but you have to be moderate when you use it. However, there are plenty of verses, in fact, more verses in the Bible that tell us that drinking and wine is dangerous. It can destroy your life. And so we have to get the two sides. We have to get it loud and clear. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And then, please, someone, um, if we can have a volunteer to read Proverbs 23, 30, I think it's 35 till the end. Proverbs 23, we're going to have a very graphic section that gives us the results of drunkenness. There are many people who are young, so that's going to be actually from 29, so that's not 39, it's 29 till 35. So some of, yes, Caleb, you wanna read it? So before you read, I'll explain, because some of us are young. What we're talking about here is some, some drinks that have alcohol in it, and when people drink them, it makes them sick. But they think it's fun. And so they say, come with me and drink beer and drink wine and drink this. Come at the party and get one more cup and one more drink. That's what we're talking about. And God is saying, that's evil. It's going to destroy your life. Don't do it. All right, Caleb. Yes. Sorry, can I say something? Yes. Um, and you can correct me. I think um, there are some things that may give you pleasure. Like you say, it makes you sick, right? And I do agree that it makes you sick. But at the moment, you may think like, oh, it feels good. It makes me feel a certain way and it's pleasant, but that can lead to distraction. Because um, I learned that from my husband because oftentimes we hear saying that don't do this because you're going to get sick right away. Mm. And that may not be true because you taste it and you're like, oh, this makes me feel like good, or this tastes good, yeah. and you continue and then that will make you sick. Mm -hmm. Although the first step should be like, you shouldn't even try. And those things I would say, everything in moderation, I think there are some things that we shouldn't even try. Yeah, so since you already mentioned Sorry. that, it, it's good. So wine in the Bible has low alcohol content. Mm -hmm. It has alcohol content, but it's just not high alcohol content. So any of the drinks that are modern today, like some liquors or strong spirits or whiskey or vodka that have just very high alcohol percentage, that's not something that God commands at all because this is gonna make you quickly drunk. You just get one drink, and especially if you've not done that, that before, that's it, you're gonna be completely drunk. So this is not something that is in the categories we mentioned, because of course, you have to think about the effect, right? The dose. So the alcohol content in what God says, it's a blessing, it gladdens the heart. It's something that, yes, you can drink some of it, a small amount, and you will still be totally fine, as opposed to other ones that you know, I, I'm from a, a farmer's family. They, they make some spirits that like, the thing is so alcoholic that when you drink it, it burns your throat. Like the whole thing burns your throat badly. That's bad, that bad. And you drink just a little bit of it. It's actually so strong. They drink it with a small amount like this, like smaller than a French coffee. So, you know, that's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing someone who has a cup of a low alcohol content, tasty wine, and they enjoy it. That's what we're discussing. Okay, so that's the context, good context. Uh, Caleb, you want to drink? Uh, you want to <laughs> <laughs> you you read it for us? That is so funny. Uh, so 29. Yes. yes, loud, please. 
Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who look under, long over wine. Those who go to search out mixed wine. Do not look under wine when it is in its bed. When it sparkles in the cup. When it goes down smoothly. At the end, like a serpent, it bites. Like a vulture, it stings. Your eyes will see strange things. The heart will speak per per perverse things. Thank you. So you see, the person who is drinking and becomes a drunk, they, they do not see life correctly anymore. They get hurt and they don't feel it. They can be dead at the bottom of the sea. It's just a long list of horrible things. So you will have people, you will have friends. They will say, oh, come and have a drink with us. And take another one, another one. Like never take a drink of something that's strong alcohol drink. Just don't do it. It's not even good. I mean, there's no, no point. And, uh, and then these people, they're not your friends. They are people who are just make, uh, they are gonna corrupt your life. Those are not good friends. So don't do this. First of all, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna vomit and you're gonna have just a terrible time. You may have a lot of problems. You may go to jail because you did something foolish. You will destroy your life. Do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not let wine take control over you and change what you do. Let the Holy Spirit take control over you and change what you do. That's the point. And this is what this was valid in the first century uh, Lord's Supper context, and it's of course valid at all time in every context. The spirit of self-control is what we should have. So we move on to the singing. Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. So here we have three things we're supposed to sing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I just absolutely love the singing part. I mean, if, if, I, if, I, if I had more time, I would have brought like 20 hymnals, and we would have spent half of the time today just singing. Because most of us, let's face it, we don't sing any hymn. We don't. And we don't sing any song, do we? But this is actually a command. He doesn't say, in the church you can sing whatever is on the radio, you can sing whatever feels right, you can put music from the world, like some rock music or some uh, uh, music from a movie that people like, so you can put it at the beginning of the service, so when the unbelievers come they're like, oh I know that song, I like it. That's not what you do. You don't have the privilege to choose what you sing. You sing spiritual songs. If it's not a Christian song that is made by a Christian artist, it's not a spiritual song. If it doesn't have spiritual content, if it's not praising the Lord, if it's man-centered, it's not a spiritual song. You see, most of the things that people like today, they like them because they listen to them on the radio. But those things, they were never meant to be glorifying God and, and, uh, and solemn and beautiful and encouraging for the saints in the assembly. They were meant to make money. They were meant to sell to the people who can pay for this to be broadcasted all over the US so we have to have our tastes and our theology that is guided by the Word of God so that we appreciate God pleasing music and God pleasing singing so here it says we must be singing songs did you know that for the first four centuries of the church the church was almost exclusively singing songs that is, they just went to the inspired hymnal that God put into the Bible and they sang the Psalms. They sang the Psalms where they were going to Jerusalem, so they were Song of Ascents. So they were just going up in the geography of the terrain and they would be singing those songs. And there are so many things we have to see here. In the history of the church, the church has always sung the Psalms. 
always and at some time it has gone down such as at the time of the catholic church where they banned the singing see they did all kinds of evil things the catholic church not at the beginning at the beginning it was the christian church but around the 12th century it was completely apostate it's no longer christianity so what they did they said you cannot drink the wine because they had come up with the heresy that the wine was actually the literal blood of Jesus and if you spilled it on the t on the floor then you know you were just committing this horrible sin because you could pick up the piece of bread but you couldn't easily pick up the drop of wine so they said only the priests can drink and so the people were not drink but Christ said drink take some of it from the cup all of you we read all of you and then there was the singing and so did you know that when the reformation happened with Martin Luther one of the first things that he did with John Calvin was to reinstate the singing and people were just coming in throng to sing they were just so excited we can sing and take the Lord's Supper again and Martin Luther he did a lot of study to find out what are we supposed to do in the church and he found that this is commanded to sing the Psalms that's what the church has always done what are we doing not singing the Psalms so what he did he translated in German the Psalms and so did Calvin he translated them in French that is he made them he put melody so people could sing them and so I encourage you go to YouTube with good artists you have plenty of scripture songs that are that, are, that exists they are also Shane and Shane they they have made several songs or they are other authors so beautiful the Lord's my shepherd I shall not want He makes me lie in pastures green And my cup it overflows with joy I feast on His pure delights Even someone, someone, there is a beautiful artist that it's on YouTube I, I'll give you the name next week but it has like the um, um, blessed is the man and then it talks about Psalm 1 to 3 the blessed man but then it says the wicked and the song is so beautiful it says the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away so you see in the Bible the songs they sing about things that you never hear in the radio and you never hear in Christian churches for example Psalm 14 says the fool says in his heart there is no God go put that on the radio it's not gonna happen they don't do it in the Psalms you have laments <coughs> when this is not just we are all happy life is wonderful the Lord is blessing me with prosperity and now we sing you know, it's not all like that in the Psalms in the Psalms you have all the plethora of the emotions of the Christian life they are all in the Psalms you have why are you cast down on my soul Trust in God, for I will surely hope in Him. You have so many things like that. And this is what you have in the Psalms. In the Psalms, someone has made a statistical analysis between the Psalms and uh, the ancient hymns and the modern Psalms. And you know what they found? In the Psalms and in the ancient hymns, most of the pronouns and the content is God-centered. There is a high, overwhelming majority of content that talks about God. And in the modern songs, it's all about I, me, I, will, I. Because it's men-centered. It's not like the Psalms. The Psalms, they teach us what God wants us to sing to Him. We should sing the Psalms. We should definitely sing the Psalms. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, which is the only passage in the Bible that gives a detailed um, regulation of what God wants in the first in the, in the church meeting it says in verse 26 it says when you come together what shall we do then brethren and it says if anyone has a song we should sing and then if anyone has a teaching so God expects songs in the church and he expects songs in your life and that's why he says <clears throat> singing giving thanks because the book of Psalms is just as much as a book of prayer as it is a book of singing. Because really when you sing, what are you doing? You're just giving thanks to God, you're praising God with, with your voice, with all your heart. So you should, be, you should be passionate about singing. You should. And it says hymn. 
That is, not all songs are the same. Some people, they're like, I don't like this, I'm not singing. And I tell that to my kids. Are you singing because you like the song? So you're singing for yourself then. That's not what we do. We sing to God. And we sing content that He loves. And how about those songs that have just crossed the centuries and they connect us to the saints of the past? Amazing Grace, A Mighty Fortress is Our God is one of the hymns. It's actually inspired from one of the Psalms. It was penned by Luther. We should be singing those hymns. We should just pick up a hymnal, take the hymns of grace, take one hymnal and just learn. Learn with your family to sing the Psalms and to sing the hymns. So many, so many beautiful, rich, theologically spiritual songs in there to praise the Lord. So I will stop that on the three, the three uh, pieces. But when Christ came out of the Lord's Supper, uh, when they were closing, they actually sang a hymn. In James it says, If anyone, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, James 5.13, let him sing praise. What's interesting in this particular verse, 19, it says, addressing one another. Addressing one another. What do you think that implies? Speaking to one another. Yes. Teaching one another. Yes. So, I'm going to tell you something. People think that because they are singers in front of the church, they do the singing for me. People think because they are greeters in front of the church, they greet the people for me. Not so. We are to sing to one another. We are to greet one another. See, we don't take the excuse that this person does it, so I don't have to do it. This is the expert, I'm not doing it. No, you are to sing. I tell you, most people do not sing. Singing is not, I whisper. Singing is not, I'm reading. Singing is not, I'm speaking the lyrics. Singing is singing. We know the difference. But when the music is loud, or the, the melody is loud, and no one pretty much hears, then people are just, they're just okay to not sing. And most people don't sing, I tell you that. Because when, you know, when people sing, you hear them. And it's encouraging to you. And if you can hear only a few people, then you know pretty much almost everyone is not really singing. They don't understand what it is to sing and to just pour out your heart to the Lord in praise and just sing. If people have to have the music to sing, otherwise they don't feel comfortable, they don't understand that the music is just supposed to raise you up. You know, many people, they wouldn't be comfortable to, to, to sing without instruments. You understand that in the first century and in many places in the world, people do not have instruments? or they do not have musicians, or they are persecuted so they're not going to blow the trumpet as they are doing the worship service because they could be caught. And they are singing, and they are just, they are just passionately praising the Lord as it happens. And so how come we have to have all the melody to just be like, I like this one, I'm going to sing. That's not how it should be. Just sing with all your might. In the Old Testament, the, saying, the saints were singing. In the... In the book of Revelation, in the future, we see the saints before the throne of God for all eternity. They sing. And if you track it down, you see it says they sing with a loud voice. Because you're supposed to encourage one another. How am I going to be encouraged if I cannot hear you? And then the Bible says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. So if you're not singing, is it possibly because it's a lack of faith? Is it possibly because... It's a lack of passion for God. Is it, what is it? You have to sing. It's some, something for you. It absolutely does not matter if you're not a great singer. It doesn't matter if you can't be singing very well. Uh, it doesn't matter. And I'll tell you, the more you sing, the better you'll sing. Because you'll know the songs. And so don't be like, okay, I don't know this one. No, no, that's not like this. It's, wow, I don't know this one. In the psalm it says, sing to the Lord a new song. So let me... Let me catch the refrain. Let me learn the melody. Let me, uh, at least I read it so then next time it will be easier. And because many, many times we repeat, you can, if you do it, if you make an effort, by the end of the song, you would be singing some of it. And it's a beautiful thing. It is just such a joyful thing to sing. We should all be singing. So I'll be reading a few verses for you. 
Psalm 9:11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When my wife and I visited her family in French Guiana years ago, we were there in this Haitian church. And I'll tell you, everybody is singing. And you can tell the difference, big difference. You hear the singing, the ladies, everyone is praising the Lord. It's beautiful. Same in other cultures. But in many places in, uh, in the Western world, people, they will just, they will not sing. It's self-centered. We just, we praise the Lord. We give it all. And I love this psalm, Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, all you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. That's what we just re read in Ephesians. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks. And it's all you his saints. Are you a saint? Do you have a mouth? Can you breathe? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are commanded to sing. Um, in the Bible, you never see a command to learn math. Now, it's good to learn math. And I teach my kids to learn math. But we do see a command to sing. It's repeated so many times in the book of Psalms. It's just everywhere. For God is the king of all the earth. Psalm 47, 7. Sing praises with a song. We are commanded to sing. So one thing I want to show my kids, I want to teach my kids, I want to encourage all of you, is just learn to sing. Sing to the Lord. Do it with a joyful heart. And so with prayer, we move on to the prayer, and we are a little bit out of time, but I'll quickly wrap up. It says, Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here that we are to thank God and pray, and for everything and always. So we cannot just thank God when things are are going well. We have to thank God all the time. We see that with many people in the Bible. We have to give thanks to the Lord, even when things are hard, what we call the hard providence. Or things are, or maybe I'm, I'm, still, I'm still sick, or I'm still struggling for, for some as, in some aspects of my life. And I give thanks to the Lord for His provision, for His help. And you see, we give thanks, we pray to God the Father. When Jesus was asked, teach us how to pray, he said, our Father who is in heaven. He didn't say Mary, because we don't pray to the saints, we pray to God. He told us to pray to the Father, in the name, just like we see here, of the Lord Jesus. And how can we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray to the Father, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should do that always, and we should give thanks. We should be a thankful group of Christians. And in the verse uh, 19, when it says making melody, the word is uh, salo, it's, it's uh, pinching strings of an instrument. There are people who say, we cannot have instruments in the church, and we should be only singing songs. They are very passionate about doing only what God says, but here they are mistaken. Because in this passage we see psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There is a variety of songs that we can sing to the Lord in the church. And then it says making melody, and the word is the instrument, the musical melody. So here we have God saying to us, it's good to use musical instruments in the church. And uh, we know that some people are gifted at that, and this is one of the facets of biblical singing. So we've seen praying with the giving of thanks. And again, I want to emphasize that praying and singing, this is very much connected. This is why the book of Psalms is both a, a model prayer book and a hymnal. And I think we'll close here. I already mentioned the submitting to one another as uh, humility and uh, the mutual uh, deference and and preference yielding so that we can actually fellowship and have communion. Um, I hope you were encouraged. This is really the will of God for us in the church. And this is also what extends to our family life as we will see next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, 
uh, to be filled with the Spirit. As the disciples in Acts were repeatedly filled with the Spirit, so we need to be filled with your Spirit. So Lord, please fill us with your Spirit. Help us to be filled with your Word. And Lord, may that overflow with thankfulness. Uh, may we be a thankful a thankful people. May we sing to you all that you would want us to proclaim to you and to encourage one another. And help us to have the right heart attitude, just like Christ, who out of humility uh, went and uh, suffered as a servant. Help us to be uh, submitted to one another. For all of that, O oh Lord, is your will. We need your help and we trust, on, trust in you. And uh, everyone says, Amen. Amen.